So back in 1947, there was a hit country song that came out, and it was called I'm My Own Grandpa. Some of you maybe have heard the song before, but I wanted to read the lyrics to you. It goes like this. Many, many years ago, when I was 23, I was married to a widow who was pretty as could be. This widow had a grown-up daughter who had hair of red. My father fell in love with her, and soon they, too, were wed. This made my dad my son-in-law and really changed my life. For now, my daughter was my mother because she was my father's wife. And to complicate the matter, even though it brought me joy, I soon became the father of a bouncing baby boy. My little boy then became a brother-in-law to dad and so became my uncle, though it made me very sad. For if he were my uncle, then that also made him brother of the widow's grown-up daughter, who was, of course, my stepmother. Father's wife then had a son who had them on the run. And he became my grandchild, for he was my daughter's son. My wife is now my mother's mother, and it makes me blue, because although she is my wife, she's my grandmother too. Now, if my wife is my grandmother, then I'm her grandchild, and every time I think of it, it nearly drives me wild, because now I have become the strangest case you ever saw. As husband of my grandmother, (laughs) I am my own grandpa. And the next chart shows you uh, their family tree. All right, so you can go back, look up those lyrics and try to figure that out on your own. Uh, we're beginning our Advent season and today's message is called Family Tree, where we're going to be looking today at the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're actually going to be reading from Matthew's account. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Matthew chapter one. And um, in case you didn't know this, the Christmas story actually begins with a genealogy. Now, over the years, people have asked me many times, why did God put so many genealogies in the Bible? And the very next thing people say is they are so boring. Okay, well, I look at the genealogies in the Bible like uh, the way I think of uh, broccoli and spinach is it's not as fun as dessert, but it's still rich in nutrients. So uh, what we'll find uh, in the genealogy of Jesus is that it contains an assortment of names. Uh, some you would expect, but some you would not expect at all. So his genealogy includes kings and servants. It includes wealthy people and poor. And it actually includes the names of no less than five women. And I mention that because in these times, in ancient days, if you read anyone else's genealogy from any other civilization, uh, you never, ever, ever found the names of women mentioned. But uh, in the Bible and here uh, in the Jewish culture, in the genealogy of Jesus, no less than five different women's names appear. And uh, we're only going to talk about three of those ladies today. So we're going to be talking about Rahab. Ruth and Mary. So again, you can be turning to your Bible if you have one, Matthew chapter one. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along. But our message today is called Family Tree. And we'll be talking about three ladies, Rahab, Ruth and Mary. So let's pray together and let's see what God has for us. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord. Uh, you are a faithful God. I thank you for the Christmas story. I love this time of year, God. Um, it just always fills my heart with such hope. Long, long time ago, you began making promises that the Christ would be born. And hundreds of years went by. And one day the day came when he actually was born. And Lord, we celebrate uh, his birth during the Christmas season. And Lord, I pray today uh, you would give us insight into the entire story, Lord. 
uh, and your plan and what you were doing back then and what you're doing today. Uh, Lord, even from this genealogy, Lord, you can speak to us and you can change our lives. And we just thank you, Lord. Uh, you really are a God of miracles. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so the first lady uh, we're going to talk about today is Rahab. And she was definitely one of the least likely people uh, that you would ever think would follow God. Uh, you would not expect to find her in the line of Jesus. And in fact, of the three women that we're going to talk about today, she definitely has the darkest profile. So we begin in Matthew 1, verse 2. And I'm just going to read the very beginning of the genealogy. It starts there. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And then the genealogy goes on. But we're going to skip to verse 5 where it mentions Rahab for the first time. It says, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. I'm sorry, Boaz by Rahab. So it mentions there uh, this name of Salmon. Uh, and he uh, marries this lady named Rahab. And when I say lady, I use that term loosely. You'll see in a minute what I mean. Um, but they're married and they have a son. And the question is, uh, can we actually call her a lady? Well, you see, as we read the story in the book of Joshua, we're going to be jumping around today a lot. Um, but in the book of Joshua, chapter two, uh, it mentions her and her story. So we're going to go there and we see in Joshua, chapter two, um, this verse, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly. And we skip a little bit as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. All right. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on the story of what happened at Jericho. The main person I want to focus on today is this woman named Rahab. But still, uh, just to give you a little background. So in verse one, it mentions this. It mentions Joshua sent two spies uh, or two men as spies. So there's this uh, there's a city of Jericho and God's army, God's people are going to go fight uh, these people from Jericho. And so before they go there, Joshua sends two men to be spies uh, in that town. And when they get there, uh, they end up in the house of this lady named Rahab. And it tells you uh, right there, the first time you, you see a mention of her in the Bible, it says that she was a prostitute. Um, if you think of that word prostitute, okay, she was the opposite of virtuous. And like I said, she was the opposite of anyone that you would expect to be included in the line or genealogy of Jesus. Uh, there would be lots of reasons for the women in town not to like her, okay, because she's not helping anybody's marriage, right? And then the men in town who uh, uh, knew her, uh, if you know what I mean, uh, you know, they would never admit it. And so it stands to reason that Rahab had virtually no friends at all in the entire city of Jericho. Another thing I want to point out is this, is that uh, if you think about her profession, okay, she was the opposite of a virgin. And so I just want to point that out now because because later we'll be talking about Mary. So but for now, in contrast, we have this this woman, Rahab, and this profession she has and the way that virtually the entire city looked down on her. So here's what happens. Let me summarize a little bit. Rahab hides those two spies and uh, the king of Jericho, he gets word about it. So he sends men, uh, probably soldiers, uh, to go find uh, these spies. And he sends them to Rahab's house. 
So Rahab, when those soldiers come, she sends them in pursuit. She lies to them and tells them, I saw those two men run off. And so the, the, uh, the soldiers of the king, they run off trying to catch those spies. And now she's alone with those two men that she's hiding. Okay. And so she has a conversation. We pick up in verse eight of Joshua chapter two. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So these are the spies that Joshua had sent. Okay. Uh, before the men lay down, she came up to him on, on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. In the entire city of Jericho. The people had heard about God. So 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 God's. uh Power and and the uh, the stories about God and what He had done in Egypt uh, with Moses and the plagues that had come and how God had delivered His people out of Egypt. All those stories had gone before the nation of Israel. Before they ever reached Jericho, the stories were already there. They'd already heard about it. And here Rahab is telling these two spies, "We've already heard about your God, and it sounds like He's pretty awesome." And Everybody in this town is afraid of him. So that's what she's telling him. But here's the interesting thing, y'all. In that whole city of Jericho, there's only one person that demonstrates faith in God. It's the most unlikely person. And it's this woman, Rahab, the prostitute. Now, at this point, you must be wondering, okay, so how does all this relate to the Christmas story? Well, ultimately, Rahab's story is a story of deliverance. So when we, when we talk about the Christmas story, think about it. What is the Christmas story about? It's about how God sent his son to earth. Uh, and when the Lord Jesus was born, he was born as a baby. But when you follow his story, uh, he goes on, he lives a perfect life. And eventually he grows up. And the part of the story people don't always like is that that little baby grew up and became a man, claimed to be almighty God. And one day after uh, he had finished his three years of ministry, he stretched out his arms and he was nailed to a cross. He took on the sins of the world and he rose again from the dead. And what God has promised us is that if we would simply put our faith in him, That he would be our savior. He would deliver us from our sins. And he would deliver us from God's judgment. That's really what Christmas is all about. You cannot have Christmas and divorce that little baby from the rest of the story. Okay. Uh, People are comfortable with the little baby Jesus in that nativity. And they want to keep him there. But the reason it's so important that that baby was born. Is because of what he was going to do. Later in his life. It was a miracle. God Almighty became a man. And we still celebrate Christmas today. Uh, and then that, like I say, that little baby grew up. And he became a savior to any who will put their faith in him. 
he actually becomes our deliverer. So this is why Rahab's story ties into Christmas because the whole story of Rahab foreshadows uh, the deliverance that Christ would offer as Savior. Uh, the story of Rahab, uh, we're, we're going to see in a little bit, is that she and her, and her family end up being delivered from the attack of God's army. So let's go on in Joshua chapter 2, verse uh, 17. It says there, the men said to her, so the two spies are there with her. And now that she's just told them how fearful the whole city is about God. Uh, now they respond to her and they say this in verse 18. It says, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out, his blood shall be on his own head. Okay, so here's the idea is uh, she's about to um, she's about to let them sneak out her window so that they can get free. And they tell her this before they leave. They say, if you'll hang this scarlet cord. This scarlet cord, if you'll hang that outside your window, it's going to be a sign for us uh, to leave your household alone. Anyone who is inside the house. Watch this, y'all. Um, the instruction is tie the scarlet cord in the window. The scarlet cord hangs on the outside. The people are safe if they stay on the inside. Scarlet cord on the outside. The people who stay inside are safe. Think about this now. Who was it that could see the cord? Not the people on the inside, but it was for the people on the outside who were bringing the judgment. Now, uh, it's just like salvation today. Okay, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, that he did that for you. When you put your faith in Christ, uh, it says that he will save you, but it also says that. You are placed into Christ. That's one of the ways God describes it. You are placed into Christ. Now, the Bible also talks about this, about how it's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sin. That red blood, that scarlet blood. Now, if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, that he died for your sins and rose again, You never saw his blood with your eyes, did you? I know I didn't. Never saw the blood. Okay. The blood is a spiritual thing that happens. God promises it. He says, when you put your faith in the Savior, he promises that the blood of Jesus Christ completely washes away all your sin. The very thing that offends God. All your sins that you've ever committed in the past and all the sins you're going to commit today and in the future. It's all washed away. You and I cannot see that blood. But God Almighty can. And the story of Rahab foreshadows uh, this work that God would do. It also says this in verse 9. It says, he, it, they warn, they say, if anybody goes out, if anybody goes out of, of your household, their blood will be on their own head. And that represents those who reject the offer of God. Who say, I don't want to be in that house with that scarlet uh, cord. 
They're saying, in fact, to God, um, I don't want to put my faith in Christ, even though he has shed his blood for me. And I reject that. The people who stayed outside of that household were not safe. Y'all following me? They were only safe inside. And the reason they were safe is because a scarlet cord was hanging on the outside for the eyes of the army to see the army that was bringing the judgment. It's the same today when we put our faith in Christ. Now, Joshua and God's army attack Jericho and they defeat Jericho. But I want you to pay attention to how Joshua refers to Rahab. And we're going to look at three different little passages real quick. First of all, before the attack in Joshua 6, verse 16, watch how, what, what he says about her. Okay, It says that, and at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 17, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live. Okay, make a mental note. Now, after the victory in chapter six, verse 22, it says this. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her. And then chapter six, verse 25. But Rahab, the prostitute and her father's household and all who belong to her, Joshua saved alive. We're talking about Rahab today, how she ties into Christmas. Rahab had a nickname. I know you noticed it, right? Rahab the prostitute. It was her nickname. It was her moniker. It was her identity. It was how everybody knew her. Now, a thousand years go by. Over a thousand years, actually. And her name is mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is just so awesome, y'all. Because I want you to look at that verse again and see if you notice anything different this time. We're going to go back to the genealogy. So in Matthew 1, uh, verse 5, it says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Do you see anything missing? You see her name, but she's got a new identity. Her nickname is gone. She's been changed by almighty God. And that's, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get, I didn't know this was going to happen. This doesn't happen when I practice this, by the way. <laughs> Connie would kick me out of the house. <laughs> get out of here, you wimp. Okay, so, but anyway, um, the reason why Rahab's story ties into Christmas is because this most unlikely and undeserving person is the only one in the whole city that demonstrated faith in God and God was able to change her life to the point that eventually God Almighty is the one that puts her name in that genealogy. But he's changed her nickname and he's changed her entire identity. Uh, it's just that's what Christmas is about, y'all. God can take the most unlikely, undeserving people and he can change our lives and adopt us into his family. Stop. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, comic relief. All right. So uh, I read this story about uh, what is wrong with me about 10 years ago. And uh, this came out in uh, October of, of 2010. And here, here was the, uh, the, the, um, 
the headline. It said this, a Michael Angelo, stop, a Michelangelo behind the couch. Okay, so I thought, well, that's an interesting headline. Let me, let me find out what it is. And let me just kind of tell you the story. In the early 80s, there's this family, and their last name was uh, Cober. They had a painting on the wall, and uh, maybe some of you might remember this story, but there was this painting on the wall, and uh, it had been passed down in the family just, you know, for generations. And there was a rumor that it was actually a Michelangelo, and they'd always joke about it. One day, a tennis ball hit the painting, and the painting fell to the ground. And so they said, all right, we need to take better care of this. So they wrapped it in bubble wrap, and they stuck it behind the couch. And 20-plus years went by. In 2003... When Martin Cober, he was the the uh, the dad, you know, in the house. When he retired, um, he remembered the painting. I guess he saw it when they were they were moving the couch, and he thought, you know, I'm gonna find out if this thing is really a Michelangelo or not. And so, long story short, he begins to research, and he gets in touch with different experts. One guy in particular, a guy named Antonio uh, Forcellino, who actually lived in Italy, and the guy heard enough information. He decided to fly. From Italy to America to Cobra's house to look at this painting. This is what he said about it. He said, I had assumed it was going to be a copy. In reality, this painting was even, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me today, y'all, was even more beautiful than the versions, versions hanging in Rome and Florence. Now, go a little bit further. There's been debate over this thing because different experts have looked at it. They've studied it with infrared light. They've studied it with x-rays. And to date, they still haven't decided uh, if, if it's real or not. Okay, the last article I found, I, I could find even, is three years old. But as of 2017, uh, what I've heard now is that this painting is now hanging in Rome in an art museum. They're still debating if it's real or not. But if, in fact, it's authentic... It's going to bring this guy an estimated $300 million. Okay. Uh, I told Connie, hey, let's start looking behind our furniture. Maybe we'll find something, you know, valuable. And uh, all we found was French fries. Okay. So Rahab reminds us that the most unlikely person is still valuable in God's sight and can be included into God's family. Right now, the second lady we're going to talk about is Ruth. So Ruth uh, is a story of immense loss and grief. Uh, in fact, Ruth and her mother-in-law. So Ruth is mentioned first. Uh, we're going to read where she's mentioned in the genealogy. So again, in verse five. So Matthew uh, chapter one, verse two. And you see, we'll skip on down to verse five. It says, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. So we learned that Ruth was married to someone Named Boaz. Now, let's jump into the heart of her story. So we go way back to the Old Testament, uh, to the book of Ruth. And uh, what we find is there's a woman named Naomi. Uh, she's got a husband. She's got two sons. They move to a place called Moab. And then tragedy strikes. So we're in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this, but Elimelech, uh, that's Naomi's husband. So Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. You, you'll see in a little bit. But... But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, so just throw that in, they're, they're Gentiles. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, 
And both Malon and Kilion, that's, the, that's Naomi's sons, uh, both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay. <laughs> Were you in a good mood when you walked in today? <laughs> All right. So Ruth, uh, we find she's a Moabite. She's a Gentile. And um, we find that she's married into this family. In verse 5, it tells us that Naomi loses her husband and both her sons. Okay, let that sink in for a minute. She loses her husband and both her sons. Imagine the grief she's feeling. But Ruth was suffering as well because Ruth lost her husband and a brother-in-law, right? Orpah's husband. So here she is with Naomi and they're grieving and they're in anguish. Uh, Naomi at this point urges both of her daughters-in-law because they're young. She urges them both to leave her and to go find other men and, uh, you know, other husbands. And so Orpah goes, goes ahead and leaves. But here's where Ruth displays her most distinguishing characteristic. So in Ruth 1 verse 16, it says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. She's talking to Naomi, right? Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth remains faithful to Naomi. And she tells her, you got me for life. We're stuck together. Okay. Now, through a series of events... Uh, orchestrated by God, Ruth is able to get married again uh, to one of the godliest men that you'll ever read about in the whole Bible. And his name was Boaz. So we're going to read about that, about how she gets married here. So Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. So everything ends well for Ruth, right? She's got a husband and a son by the end of the story. But things go well for Naomi as well. So we read that in Ruth 4 verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life. And a nourisher of your old age. So all ends well for Naomi too. Um, she has a family. And uh you know, her life is restored. So what's all this got to do with Christmas? Well, Ruth's story reminds us that God can change our sorrow to joy, our mourning to joy, our hopelessness to hope. Christmas is that same story. Um, God wants to give sinners a savior. And he wants to change their hopelessness to hope. Um, In fact, if you think about it, y'all, if you have a relationship with Christ, if you know for certain that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, and that he lives inside you, then on your worst day, you still have hope. No matter how bad things get around you. I mean, you can have a rotten day, but still have that eternal hope, that blessed hope. In Christ, I've heard so many people lately and 
I'm not judging anybody, okay? But I'm just telling you, you've heard it too, I know. Maybe it's come out of your mouth. I can't wait till 2020 is over. Uh, I've just heard that a lot lately, okay? And, um, you know, there's reasons for that, right? There's, you know, the whole COVID thing and the, the fear associated with that. There's controversy over the election. Uh, there's the economy, you know, can be uncertain at times. Well, number one, there's no guarantee that 2021 is going to be any better. Okay. I don't mean to bring you bad news, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you're putting your faith in the new year, you're putting your faith in an uncertain thing. Meanwhile, Christmas, y'all, God has sent a savior. That's a sure thing. Ah, and he is our blessed hope. Now, do you want more hope from the story of Ruth? I love this part. Ruth's husband, Boaz, the guy she married. I don't know if you notice this in the genealogy, but Boaz had a mama. Okay, so we're going to read that part of the genealogy again. Again, we're in Matthew chapter one, verse five. And it says this. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. I want you to think about this, y'all. Boaz, that godly man we just talked about, he had a mama. That mama was Rahab, the ex-prostitute. That woman, her life was so changed. She and her husband, Salmon, raised a godly son, a godly man. And that man married Ruth. Three generations later, King David is born. And then a long time later, the Lord Jesus Christ came from that same line. The story of Ruth reminds us that God can change our sorrow to joy and our hopelessness to hope. And that's how it all ties in to Christmas. Now, <laughs> as long as we're smiling, I'm going to tell you a story about when I was working for hospice, okay? I know I'm taking a chance here, right? But there was a guy, gosh, I'm just going to be doing this all day. Anyway, there was a guy uh, that I met years ago, one, one of our patients, and I'm just going to call him Fred. I got, I got to change his name because of HIPAA laws. But Fred, uh, I just got such a kick out of him. Now, no, uh, you know, when you're working for hospice, uh, it doesn't sound like, you know, the most fun job, but, but I was a chaplain and here's what I found. My, my philosophy was this. I wanted to treat, uh, my, my dying patients. I wanted to treat them like they were still alive because I thought, you know, if I was getting close to the end, I would want my family and friends to treat me like I was still living, like, you know, don't grieve till it's over. Right. And so, um, I would just have the most fun with this guy, Fred, because he loved the banter and we would just go back and forth. But on top of that, uh, his siblings, uh, they just enjoyed watching the show. And if you can't tell this already, I love an audience. OK, and so Fred was the same way. And so we just had fun going back and forth, entertaining his siblings. Right. He would lay in his bed and, you know, we, we had an idea that he had, you know, several months to go, but we didn't know how long. Uh, but I, I did get to know him over a period of, of, uh, of several months. And uh, one time, you know, like I would bring my guitar with me and I would always ask people if they wanted a little music. And he said yes. And so I played the song Amazing Grace. 
When I finish, he goes, well, I'm glad we got that over with. <laughs> and I look at him, I tell him, hey, man, good musicians are hard to find. And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> and so, you know, we would just laugh and have fun. But we also took the time to talk about spiritual things. <clears throat> so one time when I was talking to him and his siblings were there and uh, I left this part out of the story. Sorry. Um, his background he, uh, from the time he was a young adult until now that he was elderly, had lived in the French Quarter. And so I, I can't leave that part out of the story. He was wild, y'all. And, uh, and he would tell me some of his crazy stories that he thought were appropriate enough, okay? But let me just leave it at that. He was wild beyond wild. And here he is on his deathbed, and we would laugh together. But I wanted to make sure we took time to talk about eternity, and at one point I told him, I want to share uh, the most famous Bible verse in the world. A lot of people know it. A lot of people have it memorized. It's been translated into the most languages. It's John 3.16. And it goes like this. For God so loved the world. And I, I saw his lips start moving. And he says that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed in him. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. He finished that verse. And he gets teary-eyed. And he says, I learned that when I was a child. And he said, I've never forgotten it. And then we talked about faith in Christ, about being sure, you know, is Christ your Savior? And he told me that certainly he was absolutely sure. That Jesus Christ, in spite of his wild living, that Jesus Christ uh, was his savior. And here on his deathbed, he acknowledged that. And his faith was not in his good works because he didn't have a whole lot of them, right? Uh, and your good works can't save you anyway. His faith was in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And it changed that whole story because, like I knew, uh, based on his certainty... Uh, it just gave me certainty that one day, whenever his final day came, that there's a definite expectation that I'm going to see him again one day, y'all. And that's the story of Ruth, that God can change our mourning to joy and our hopelessness to hope. Which brings us to Mary. Now, the story of Mary is most amazing when you picture her as an ordinary girl. In fact, um, when you look back at uh, Jewish culture in those days, that most people got married when they were about 12, 13, 14 years old. Okay, so I know in the movies, a lot of times she's portrayed as someone older, but get the movies out of your mind. And really, you're probably a lot more accurate if you picture her as a 12, 13 or 14 year old. Now, first, let's read about it in the genealogy. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And we skip down to verse 16. Uh, and there was a, a few people in the genealogy named Jacob. Okay. So, you know, just like anybody else's family, sometimes you, you repeat a name, right? So here it mentions a guy named Jacob in verse 16. It says, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. And in case you don't know this, Christ means promised one. That's what it means. Okay, the anointed one, the one that would come. Okay, so the emphasis even right here in the genealogy is 
um, that Joseph was the husband of Mary. But Mary was actually the mother of Jesus. Uh, in fact, if we look at the other genealogy in the book of Luke, you know, a little bit more broccoli and spinach, right? If we look at that, it gives you another detail about Joseph. So look at this. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, and look what it says, as was supposed of Joseph. The Bible is clear, y'all. Joseph was Jesus' parent, but he was not his father, okay? It tells you who Jesus' father was. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 is one of the examples. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. Okay, So make sure we clear that up. Joseph was Jesus' parent, but he was not his father. Almighty God was the father of Jesus. Now, let's talk about Mary. Okay, How ordinary was Mary? And again, let's think about her as just a young Jewish girl who loved God. I mean, she was faithful to God. Uh, and we know she was a virgin. But she's just an ordinary girl who loved God. And a lot is revealed about Mary if we look at her own words and her own responses as the story unfolds. Okay? So first, look how she responds when the angel first comes to greet her. Okay? It says here in Luke chapter 1, verse 29... But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, I skipped what the angel actually said, but all he's told her up to this point, he's just told her, Hail Mary, you have God's favor. That's all he's told her so far. All right. Now, it mentions here in this verse that just at that greeting, she was greatly troubled. I looked up the Greek wording on, on great, greatly troubled, uh, more accurate wording. And here's, here's what it means to catch what she's feeling. It means she was stirred up. She was acutely distressed. She was disturbed. She was agitated greatly going back and forth between inner thoughts and emotion. And that's just from the greeting. He hasn't told her yet she's about to bear God's child. Okay. All he's told her is hello. You know, you have the favor of God and she's feeling all this inside already. Then the news about God's child. And this is how she responded in Luke chapter one, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, I love this response because she didn't doubt God. She just wants to know, well, how are you going to do this? How am I going to have a child if I've never been with a man? She was betrothed to Joseph, but they weren't um, they weren't uh, married yet and had not been together physically yet. And so she demonstrates faith right here with that with that question. How's this going to be? How are you going to do that? But she wasn't doubting. God. She just want to know, how are you going to do it? Then when the angel explains what the Holy Spirit was going to do, how she was going to conceive. And when he also explains to her about her relative Elizabeth and about how John the Baptist was going to be born. Um, then it says this in Luke 1, verse 38. This is her response then. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Hear this young girl 
demonstrates a willingness to obey God. Even though this whole story she just heard, I mean, number one, an angel appears. That doesn't happen every day, right? But on top of that, he tells her all this news and her response is, you know what? Let it be as God says. Then she goes to visit Elizabeth. And uh, remember, Elizabeth was uh, had been pregnant for about six months now uh, with the one who would be John the Baptist. And when, she, and when they visit together, eventually these are the words that come out of Mary's mouth. We're in Luke chapter one, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary, this young girl with all this news, she's going to carry the child of God, the savior of the world, gave all glory to almighty God. Now, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, I mean, she does give birth to Jesus, right? <laughs> but uh, here's this thought, y'all. She's an ordinary girl, and she comes in connection with Almighty God. And then miracles begin to take place. And it's the same for you and me. If you and I would put our faith in Christ, God promises that miraculous, supernatural things will happen. And here's what I mean by that. Number one... First thing is, my goodness, almighty God comes to live within you. Your sins are washed away. You are given the absolute promise of eternal life. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You're adopted into God's family. And you have, I mean, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you. And you have the power to extend the hope of God and the hope of Christ to other people. So let's tie it up, y'all. Let's look at let's look just our lessons that we can take from Jesus family tree. Uh, first, we're going to talk about Rahab. And here's what we learn. The most unlikely and undeserving can receive a new identity. From Ruth, we learn this. Our mourning and hopelessness can be changed to joy and hope. And from Mary, we learn that ordinary people connected to God experience miraculous things. As we enter this Christmas season, let's think on these things. I want to give you a minute now just to kind of bow your head and let God speak to you. And then I'm going to pray for you. Dear Lord, the genealogies in the Bible uh, admittedly can be boring. But they're so rich. And it's still part of your word, God. It's still part of your love letter to us. Lord, I pray that be your words today that would stick in the hearts of those who've listened. Lord, change us. Make us more like you. And help us share you with others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.